This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, not bad, mate. Not bad. How's things with yourself? Yes, all good. Rovers obviously won at Middlesbrough on Saturday, so that was a slightly more enjoyable trip to the northeast. Um, but yes, a good weekend. What enjoyed watching Liverpool against Manchester City this afternoon as well on a lazy Sunday. Obviously, you had the the delights of a nil nil ball draw with Manchester United. Yeah, indeed. The, uh, the less said about that game, the better. Not one to remember at all. Okay. Very very okay. poor. We'll we'll move straight on then. And obviously, Please plenty do. to get our teeth stuck into in the next hour in the Championship on a on a weekend that really had a little bit of everything, didn't it? As we'll we'll come on to. Quick reminder before we get cracking, as always, to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And on today's podcast, we'll be breaking down another fascinating weekend of championship action, including post-match fights and red cards, goal, goalposts being sawn in half, and plenty more. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we'll start that weekend roundup, George, with the new league leaders, Burnley now top of the championship after a 4-0 drubbing against Swansea City. They now lead the championship standings on goal difference, along with Sheffield United and Norwich City just behind them. Big win for the Clarets. This was a game that I think both of us had as our shock last weekend. Swansea in great form. Burnley probably don't have as many points on the board as their performances have merited. Keep throwing away one-goal leads, which we've obviously discussed in great detail on the pod this season. But everything clicking for them. And someone was probably due a bit of a spanking from Burnley, given the way that the games have gone and the performances and not getting the points that they've quite merited and finishing games off. Didn't quite expect it to be Swansea. They were given a, a helping hand with some very shoddy defending, it has to be said, and some some pretty calamitous individual errors throughout. But a really, really good performance, particularly in that first half where they, they really took advantage. Vitinho getting on the score sheet, keeping Cal Roberts out at right back. I think we all know Jay Rodriguez's quality at championship level and he's been very quick to remind us of that with another brace at the weekend, taking his tally uh, not far off double figures now already for the championship season. And it really feels with Burnley, this is the performance where they've been threatening to click into gear and really put someone to the sword for a few weeks now. I've certainly been impressed with what I've seen this season. You know, even before the recent run of results, I would have said I still thought they were stronger than Norwich potentially. And for me, I think they are certainly one of the, the front runners for automatic promotion. Back-to-back wins for them, which is crucial. Back-to-back clean sheets as well. And they're now unbeaten in 11 games, which is probably something that's gone under the radar, given how many they've drawn. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's quite weird that they've won fewer games than anybody else in the top six, and yet they're top of the league. It's it's remarkable, really. Obviously, just that one defeat so far, that was a walk for them. That was a game they didn't deserve to lose, to be fair. It wasn't for Daniel Backman that night that they'd taken something, but... A really good performance on Saturday, and like you said, it's kind of one that's been brewing a little bit, hasn't it? Obviously, they had the really big win at Wigan back at the end of August, but since then it's kind of been stuttering along. But obviously, 
you know, even though they've obviously been consistent in the fact they've not been losing games, they've not been consistently winning games. And that was something I was a little bit critical of recently, saying they were kind of winning one, then drawing two, winning one again. But we're starting to slowly see perhaps that things are changing in that regard. And obviously back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets, five goals scored in the process. It's a sign that, you know, things are coming together even more now for Burnley. And Vincent Company, I think he deserves such credit because obviously, you know, he had to obviously get over the, the the feeling of relegation inside the club when he took over. He had to dismantle the squad, build something completely new and install a completely new way of playing. And to have only lost one in 14 games with all of that coming together deserves tremendous credit. And, you know, like we said last week, are there really many teams that are better than this Burnley side at the moment? I don't think there is anybody better than them. They're looking really good. They're looking fluid and Saturday was an indicator that they can score goals, you know, at a decent rate and put teams to put teams to bed quite comfortably. And, you know, as you said, it was obviously quite a shock that it came against Swansea that have been in really good form themselves. Uh, and obviously for Saturday, they were just blown away by Burnley. And when you've got somebody like Jay Rodriguez, who, you know, he's been around the block a long time now. He's he's 33. He knows the championship well. He's had a good, you know, he's had a good career in the in the championship in the past. He's done well in the Premier League as well. I think he's up to seven or eight goals now for the season. He's looking good. He's looking sharp. You've got Vitino chipping in now from the back, which is something that you wouldn't have expected. He's got a couple of goals now and assist as well. So, you know, it's all coming together for Burnley. And the top of the league, albeit on goal difference, after 14 games with a completely new squad, a completely new set of ideas, brand new manager. And the fans are clearly loving it because they've obviously been so used to football of such a, you know, quite a dull, dull nature. It's always been, you know, Long-rooted, bit boring, bit bland, but now they're really exciting to watch and that's what Vincent Company's wanted to do. So, to me, that win on Saturday is a real statement, especially against the Swansea team that have been flying recently. So, for Burnley, there's a lot to like about them at the minute and I think they're going to take some stopping. Yeah, and this team has evolved from the opening day and, and how Vincent Company was initially setting up. Jordan Byers coming at centre-back for Charlie Taylor. We've seen Anas Zuri start the last couple of games and get some rave reviews. Got off the mark in this one. Uh, with a really nice, well-taken left-footed strike. And Vitinho at right-back, as I say, he's someone that's played on the wing, he's played on the left, the right, and keeping Connor, Roberts out the, keeping Connor Roberts out the team at the moment. So it shows also with company that I think a lot of people sort of expected him to revert to the, you know, your you more trusted lieutenants with Roberts, Taylor, um, possibly Goodmanson coming in, Benson. But he's shown that, you get the result at Coventry, the players performed, you're going to keep your place. So really good weekend for Burnley, top of the championship, and it's now 11 games unbeaten for them. They are top of the league, George, because Norwich City, back-to-back defeats for them for the first time in a while. This time against Watford, losing 2-1 at Vicarage Road in the late kickoff. Um, loser atoning for a penalty miss. He looks a classy operator. I know that it wasn't a great penalty, which was well kept out by the recalled Angus Gunning goal. But lovely finish, sort of half volleyed it into the ground. Really nice finish. That was 1-0. A little bit of fortune with the way the ball broke to Keenan Davies for number two, but a good strike and a really big win for Watford after what's been a couple of difficult results, getting obviously beaten by Swansea late on, losing at Blackpool in the manner that they did as well after taking the lead at Bloomfield Road. So a big result for Slavin Bilic. A little bit of concern for Norwich with back-to-back defeats, but... Again, it's not it's not a shocking result, is it? Let's be fair. Watford on the day have the individual talent and quality to beat anyone. 
I quite liked from a tactical point of view. We've seen Ismail Assar play a, a number of roles. Obviously, we probably most recognise him as a right winger, someone certainly in that last championship season who got goals and assists playing from that right side, really direct, really quick. He's also played up front a little bit under Rob Edwards when they were playing with a back three and he was playing a little bit more central. And then at the weekend, we saw him playing on the left-hand side. So he he's someone that's showing a bit of versatility in his development as he comes in. And I think naturally he's going to be a, a slightly bigger goal threat playing on the left than the right because he's coming on his favoured foot. But there was a lovely bit of play. I think it might have even been the build-up for the second goal where he just twists the, the, the full-back. I think it was Max Aaron's inside and out, jinking, went on his left foot, crossed it, created a good goal-scoring opportunity. So, interesting to see how Billich uses him moving forward, but a really good win for Watford. A big win, one that they desperately need, obviously, after that defeat at Blackpool last weekend and losing to Swansea in midweek a few days before that Blackpool game. They really needed to get back on track and, you know, Slavin Billich, you probably thought, I'm going to win this probably to save my job in the Watford nature of things. You know, a couple of defeats in a row and you're in deep, deep trouble there. But, you know, it was a really good performance from what I saw. And I think it was a reminder of this Watford team. If they're going to achieve what they want to achieve this year, they are going to rely heavily on the individual talent that were available to them rather than, you know, not saying that they're a bad team collectively, but it's that individual flair that I think will be the difference makers for them this year. Saw was excellent, particularly in the first half. I thought he looked so lively, so dangerous, running at the Norwich defence, you know, is there a better player in that situation in this league? I don't think so. He's quick, he's dynamic, so good with the ball at his feet. And like you say, he's got the ability to score goals as well. So it's a dream player, really, for any manager at this level to, to have somebody like Ismail Assar. But, you know, Watford, they, they did need that. They'd only won one of the last four at home. So they've been stuttering at Vicarage Road quite recently, to be fair. Obviously, they lost to Swansea, drew with Sunderland. They were beaten by QPR not long ago as well. So that was a big, big victory for Slavon Bilic. And he will have been feeling a little bit of pressure, I think, after those back-to-back defeats. So Watford, you know, they'll, they'll look at that and they'll think we've beaten a team at the top of the league. We've got to take an immense amount of confidence right moving forward. And all of a sudden, that one victory has moved them back to within two points of the top six. So in what's already becoming a really, really tightly packed and condensed league table, they're right in the mix. They'll just be disappointed that they are in 10th after 14 games, obviously what their main ambition is this year. For Norwich, I don't think there's any cause for, for real panic. You know, they've lost two in a row, but they're still only a point off the top. So I don't think there's any, you know, sort of worries that the fans should have, that Dean Smith should have. They've had a, a solid start to the season. They've won seven games, they've won half of their games. But, they'll, you know, they'll look at it and think we've lost two games in a row. It's disappointing, but we're still right in the mix. We've had a solid start to the season. There's been no real hangover from relegation last year. They've got a player who's scoring goals in Josh Sargent, who obviously got on the score sheet again on Saturday evening. So, you know, there's a lot to like about Norwich. They've had a little bit of a wobble, but they've just got to try and get back on track as quickly as possible. I don't think there's any cause for too many alarm bells to be ringing. Just just a minor blip that the Championship can throw up so often. What I would say on Norwich is, defensively, I've not been convinced all season. They've only conceded 15 goals in 14 games, which... Uh, it's not horrific by any standards. But nearly every goal I've seen them concede this season has looked quite soft or there's been a defensive error or a, a loose pass that's led to them getting countered. And I've just not quite been convinced of what their best partnership is. They've obviously been playing Hanley and Omadeli at, at the back. They've got Ben Gibson, who I think is a very good player at this level, although he didn't start the season very well. I remember against Wigan in particular, he struggled in the early parts of the season. So 
I'm not quite sure I've seen a partnership that I like that's amazing. Maybe a back three could work quite well because one of the other problems seems to be that he wants to play... Sargent's best position seems to be as a striker. That's where his best position, his best performances have come from. Equally, Timu Puki is a brilliant player at this level. How do you play them together? Well, maybe a back three could work. Three five two. All Norwich's best players are quite central-based. They don't have an outstanding wide player that wouldn't fit in a three five two, do they? So maybe that could be something that Dean Smith would look at and could bring the best out of this group because I'm not sure they've got two outstanding centre-backs as a pair. But I think as a three, that could work. It would get Sargent and Pukki close together. So we will see how that develops for Norwich next time out. Luton Town 3, Queen's Park Rangers 1. Really good game in the early kickoff, George. Big win for the Hatters who climb up to 7th just on the periphery of the playoff places. And I'll tell you what, that that Elijah Adebayo and, and Carlton Morris partnership is very much beginning to look like as good as anything this league has got to offer as a front two. It has to be said that, that there was a lot of fortune about the second goal though with the ball smashing off Jimmy Dunn's face. Not a 60 seconds that he'll want to watch back anytime soon, given that he probably should have done a little bit better to take the ball off Cameron Jerome first and foremost, and then the ball ricocheting and smacking him in the face and going in for 2-0. Love the audacity of Jerome to really give it a big celebration as if he'd done anything whatsoever, but in fact, the ball just smashed off Jimmy Dunn's face and gone into the goal. Quite an equally unfortunate moment for Ethan Horvath as well, which made it 2-1 uh, before Luke Freeman tied things up against his former club. That means it's six unbeaten for Luton Town. And I think we've seen they've been picking up points quite consistently. Probably one or too many draws in there. They would have liked to have turned into wins. You think the Huddersfield game that was free all, they would have been a little bit frustrated not to get the three points in that one. Maybe against West Brom last weekend, equally, they would, they would have seen an opportunity to get an extra couple of points. But it's so tight in the division right now that picking up points consistently is 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 key. You know, normally would say in the championship, wins and you know draws kill you and you need wins really but we've seen with Burnley given the amount of games they've drawn and, and the fact they're now 11 unbeaten Luton going on a similarly good run um where there's not there's a, probably one too many draws they would like but because it's so tight consistently picking up points is gonna keep dragging you up that division really good win against an informed QPR side who again missing the presence of Chris Willock yeah, definitely. It's uh, becoming a little bit of a worrying trend for QPR, that isn't it? Even though, to be fair, they did beat Reading last time out without him, so we can't, you know, say that as soon as he's not there, they don't win. But for Luton, that was a big win, like you say. It was a real win, and you know, it was one that I thought sent out a bit of a statement that we are here, you know, to have another crack at this. It felt like and a they result had... of last season, didn't it? To, to me, they. They've crept up quite quickly, but quite under the radar almost because, you know, they didn't start the season particularly well, not like disastrously, but, you know, they were a little bit slow out of the traps. But, I mean, you look at them now, they've they've gone six without defeat. They've won, They've only lost one of the last 10. You know, things are starting to come together for Nathan Jones and we are definitely seeing the beginning of quite a promising partnership with Adebayo and Carlton Morris. You know, Adebayo, for me, I think he's been one of the best players, one of the best strikers in the Championship consistently over the last 12, 12 months or so. You know, since he came in from Walsall, not far off two years ago now, it will be, you know, come January time. He's probably been one of the best strikers in the division. He, he has excelled and exceeded expectations. He's got everything you want. He's got that physicality, good turn of pace, good in the air. He's just a really good player. And Carlton Morris, to me, complements him perfectly. It works so well as a front two. And Morris, you know, 
he did well towards the latter stage of the end of his Barnsley career and fully justified a move to stay in the championship after Barnsley went down. I think with and Nathan Morris, Jones, if you were a strike benefiting. partner, you 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 would love to play with him, wouldn't you? Yeah, he runs the channels, he holds he, up these vendors, and occupies it. He must be a striker's dream to play with. Mm, I would agree with that. He's certainly, you know, one of the better of the kind of, you know, when you think of top-end championship strikers, you wouldn't consider him in that bracket, perhaps unfairly, but when you go like to the mid-tier championship strikers, he's probably right at the very top of it. Mm. So I agree with you. He is a nightmare to deal with, and he's probably one of those that you probably, you know, if, you, if you've got him at your club, you love it, but if you're against him, you probably absolutely hate being, being up against him and trying to handle him. So for Nathan Jones, you know, he's now seeing the the fruit of that come together, those two linking up nicely. Obviously, Luke Freeman came on and got a goal at the weekend against his old club. So for Luton now, things are really starting to take shape for them. And, you know, we, we spoke last week about how this playoff battle looks like it could be one that goes right down to the wire and God knows how many teams are going to be in it. But Luton are right in the mix, that's for sure. Luton are well in this hunt now. And you look at their upcoming games, though, it's this next two that are going to be real indicators of what this Luton side can do. They've got Norwich away on Tuesday, then they've got Watford away next Sunday. So that's two massive away games that they've got to contend with. And then they've got Sunderland at home, then they've got Reading at home. So, you know, they're playing three of the current, you know, three of the current teams in the mix, you know, currently in the top eight or whatever is Watford the only exception in the next four games. So, to me, this gives a real indicator. But having said that, those they're facing will be wary of the threat Luton will pose because they're not to be underestimated. We've seen it time and time again now. You cannot underestimate this Luton side. And to have the confidence to go and beat QPR in the manner that they did with the form they've been in just goes to show what they're capable of. So, for me, Nathan Jones, perhaps a little bit of a hangover at the start of the season, came out of the traps a little bit slowly. But now... They're, they're doing just as well as anybody and they've only lost three of their first 14 as well. That that can't go unnoticed. I think the home form is starting to pick up now and that, that's going to be the big... two in the last three they've won at home. Yeah, big difference maker for Luton when they're trying to, to bridge that gap to the top six. The, the home form was so impressive last season. So, obviously, I watched them get off the mark against Blackburn, has now been QPR, draw against Huddersfield that they probably should have won. So... Luton definitely starting to pick up some steam and, and head towards that championship top six. Another team that's in the top six, George, is Blackburn Rovers, quite remarkably. 2-1 win at Middlesbrough. This really was the, the proverbial game of two halves, if I'm being completely honest. But for the ninth successive game, the win-loss run of Blackburn Rovers continues. It's not been a boring season covering the club, it, it has to be said. They were pretty abject in defeat to Wigan Athletic in midweek. It was a, a shocking game, really, in terms of the standard overall. It was a mistake by Tyler Morton that gifted Wigan the victory. And that meant it was five defeats in six away from home and no goal in that time. So if you've not scored in five of your last six away games, the best thing to do is go 2 up inside 17 minutes. They made a tactical switch and went to 3-5-2 with Ash Phillips, the 17-year-old who you'll remember from the start of the season. He came back in for his first start since August. On the right side of defence with Daniel Ayala missing. Adam Wharton came into central midfield alongside Lewis Travis and Tyler Morton. And that gave them a lot more control, a lot more composure in midfield. And Sam Gallagher was absolutely fantastic. He's got a little bit of a habit of turning up at the Riverside, scored there last season as well. And the first goal, there might be a bit of debate, although the, I think Blackburn fans enjoyed the fact that it went down as a Lenehan own goal as much as they would have if uh, it had gone down as Gallagher's. But no doubt about that second goal, 
brilliant goal. And I've been crying out all season for him to play more centrally. He's been playing on the right-hand side and he's just not a winger. He's not a right-sided player. Now, obviously, with the 3-5-2, he did naturally drift into those channels at times. But you see for the second goal, he's up against the centre-backs. He's physically dominating. He's a big lad. He's got pace to running behind as well. Plucks it down and absolutely unleashes a strike from 25 yards. And it's not even in the top corner, but the, the sheer pace of it just flies past Zach Steffen, who, who, let's be fair, kept Middlesbrough in this game in the first half. Blackburn could have easily been 4-0 up at half-time, and that really isn't an exaggeration. The two they got, Sam Gallagher had a header that should have gone in. Callum Britton had a really good chance, which somehow didn't make the highlights, literally just after the second one went in. Stefan made some really good saves. But it's also worth acknowledging that whilst Middlesbrough were battered in that first half and Blackburn should have been out of sight, I don't know how Middlesbrough didn't score in the second half because it was a barrage of pressure. Um, it probably should have been about 4-0 first half and then 2-0 to Borough second half. That would probably be my accurate representation of it. An unbelievable save from Thomas Kaminsky. How on earth he kept that out from Chubakpom? And if anyone's not seen it, it's a cross from the left off Mark Bowler. Travis sort of heads it up and it deflects, comes off the base of the post and he's a yard out. That's not even an exaggeration. He's a yard out Akpom. And for Kaminsky to have the reactions to stick an arm out, it's not even as if it's hit him. You know, there's a lot of instances where it's a close range save and we go, oh, it's a good save, but Actually, did he really know anything about it? He sticks a big big right arm out. It's a phenomenal save. And that was just as important as Gallagher's 25-yard strike. Really good away performance from Blackburn. Miles better than what we've seen recently, where they've just created absolutely nothing. And remarkably, with only eight wins... Well, with eight wins from 15, is very good. But with seven defeats to their name out of 15, they sit fifth in the championship table, one point off the top. Crazy, isn't it? It really is. It's a very, very unique pattern that we're seeing from Blackburn in the fact that, you know, we've we've banged on about the uniqueness of Preston North End's inability to score goals. I think this one is just as good, the fact that Blackburn are on this constant cycle of win-lose, win-lose, but at least they've finally got that away win after several weeks without one. And an away goal, obviously, of course. So a big, big win for Jan Dahl, Thomas and Sai, obviously against the Middlesbrough side that have been Struggling big time. Obviously, you've said the first half from Borough was really, really bad. Blackburn were electric. And the second half, the game kind of flipped a little bit. But they saw it through. They got the win. That's the most important aspect. And, you know, had Kaminsky not kept that effort out and that game had finished 2-2, Blackburn would have been absolutely kicking themselves. Obviously, I've been 2-0 up and dominated the first half. So, it was just crucial that they got that, got that win. Because it's just bizarre, the fact that they've now won more games than anyone else in the league this season. But they're not top of the league, so it's just, it's just absolutely balmy. Two wins more than Burnley have got, but obviously they've they've lost seven, which is you know one of the worst records in the division. They've the lost just as many. With Huddersfield. Uh, no, Huddersfield have lost one more. It's the no. joint second worst with Middlesbrough. That's what I mean. Middlesbrough twenty second, with the same amount of defeats as Blackburn are in fifth, and only a point off the top of the table. Only in the Championship would you get that. But you know Sam Gallagher, like you said. Terrific performance from him at the weekend. Unbelievable goal for the second. That's got to give him a little bit of confidence moving forward now. It's got to give Blackburn as a collective some confidence moving forward now. And you look at that game that they've got midweek coming against Sunderland at Ewood Park. That was one of those that you think, you know, if Blackburn had put their minds to it, they could go and win really, really well. But at the same time, it's one of those that could go either way because Sunderland, you know, have been a bit hit and miss of late. So, of course, you know, the it's Tony Mowbray factor. 
of course, God, I forgot about that. Of course, it is Tony Big Tones coming back. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting one that for Blackburn. And, you know, you look at it and you think, yeah, there's been a little bit of frustration and a little bit of anger, obviously, losing to Wigan the way that they did. Obviously, that big defeat at Reading, which was their first defeat of the season. But the facts don't lie. They're a point off the top of the table in the beginning of a new era with a new manager, with a whole new set of players. But then the strange thing is that I've only just cottoned on to is that they've actually played more games than pretty much everybody else around them. Only one game extra. It's because the um, the the game they played in midweek against Wigan was the rearranged game from when the Queen died. So it's just because they played that rearranged game before everyone else. So. Got it in quicker then. Zell, I actually just noticed that looking at the table now. There's, yeah, there's only, only them... two games in midweek, obviously. Yeah. That was Blackburn and Preston's game yeah. at Bristol City was the, mm. another, another rearranged one. It was from yeah, there's only down. Preston, there's only Preston, Bristol City, and Blackburn that have played 15 so far. Even Wigan have only played 14 despite playing that. So, but yeah, they've played one game more. But you know, they're in the mix. They're right up there. And as I've said already, this playoff race, you know, it's looking as tight as we've ever seen it before. So. Why should Blackburn not be considered? We know on the day they've got the individual talent to hurt teams. They've arguably got two of the best attackers in the league. So why not? It's going to be really interesting. But beyond all, Thomason, if they can just iron out this inconsistency, you know, they will be up there this season. But eight wins out of 15, you can't grumble with that. It's just a shame that that tally of defeats is so high. I would say... Certainly the last two away games prior to that, they've not played very well at all, but they should have got a point in both of them. Obviously, they missed a very late penalty at Cardiff and it was a it was an awful game at Wigan. It was a, an individual mistake that cost them the goal. And But for that, those games would have ended level. Now, they didn't deserve to win either game, probably didn't even deserve a point in either game, but small margins which could be atoned for. The bigger concern was the lack of cutting edge away from home, which was definitely put... Um, it's definitely put right at Middlesbrough. Just on Borough, as I've said, they were awful first half and they really were far better in the second half, should have scored in the second half, but they really can't start as poorly as that. And you sensed from the minute that fourth minute goal went in from Gallagher, the home crowd really turned and there were some really poor performances from players that we have very high standards for. I thought Matt Crooks and Johnny Housen were quite poor in midfield. Um, Paddy McNair struggled. There was quite a lot of really good championship performers that just aren't doing it for Middlesbrough at the moment. And it was interesting to see that firsthand. But for Zach Steffen, it really would have been, it could have been 4 0. And that's not even every good chance going in the back of the net. So they've got to start games quicker than that, or they're not going to get out of trouble very quickly. And as longer as this managerial indecision rumbles on, I think it's not doing Middlesbrough any favours whatsoever. They've got to sort that out quick. They really have. It's, you know, as we record on Sunday evening, it's two weeks tomorrow since Chris Wilder left. I know you've got to get, you know, you've got to get these decisions right, but they are, you know, they're, they're losing time. I know there's a long, long way to go in the season, but when you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, the games are being ticked off quite quickly and, you know, they need to get somebody in place. And considering I've had a look the other at the latest bookies odds of Michael Carrick's favourite, Lee Catamole is now favourite for the job. That doesn't fill in much confidence at all for Middlesbrough. It really doesn't. They need to try and get the result fast. Yeah, feel for Leo Persevich a little bit, currently in as interim boss. Another team that changed their manager, George, just after we obviously recorded last week's episode, was West Brom. We obviously covered in depth that it was quite likely Steve Bruce was going to get sacked, so no major shot there. He's out of the door. They've Caretaker in charge. 2-0 win away at Reading. Big win 
only their second win of the season, remarkably. It's unbelievable that that's the case. Interesting change of shape. Went to 3-4-3. Uh, two players that were recalling to the starting eleven got the decisive goals. Matt Phillips at right wing-back, an experienced player at this level. Probably an underused player in that West Brom squad, really, although they've got a lot of attacking talent. Uh, and then Taylor Garda-Hickman, who someone we saw sort of burst onto the scene last season at right-back, also in central midfield he's played, which is where he played at the weekend, and it was a fantastic goal for his first senior, senior goal. Really good strike from distance after winning the ball back, and perhaps he's the little bit of energy and tenacity they've at times missed in the centre of the park. John Swift on the bench because of the change of formation. And plenty of speculation who might come in. But this was a timely reminder that this squad has got so much quality and maybe it just needed a little bit of a freshen up with someone like Phillips, someone like Gardner Hickman coming into the midfield to give a bit more energy and, and youthfulness. And we'll see who comes in. Yeah, as, as is so often the case, isn't it, when a caretaker manager comes in after that first game of the previous manager getting the sack, they change just a few things, just don't they, just to try and freshen things up, install a little bit of fresh belief and get things back on track. And Obviously, that happened at the Reading at the weekend. Obviously, Matt Phillips got a goal. Hickman, you know, moved into midfield. He got the assist for the first, scored the second. And reading some comments from West Brom fans on, on Saturday evening in response to, to one of our tweets on the podcast page, they were saying how just a couple of tactical tweaks had made such a difference. And they say it was quite clear, even though, you know, I think it was obvious to everybody by the end that the players were not prepared to pull their weight for Steve Bruce anymore. They obviously weren't warming to what he was wanting from them. And, you know, it, it's just, I just think it's quite staggering. Even though I said last week the performances overall had been better than what the results had suggested, I was surprised that West Brom stuck by Steve Bruce for so long before making that change. Obviously, it's almost a week since he went, as we record this. He's he's not had his um, successor announced as of yet. A lot of rumours going around about who it could be, who it might not be. Personally, I would have thought, you know, had things not gone as disastrous recently as Middlesbrough, I'd have thought they'd have jumped at the chance to try and get Chris Wilder through the door, given that, you know, he was a man that they wanted prior to Bruce, but... It's just questionable a little bit, isn't it, whether his stock has fallen a little bit after what's gone off at Borough. But I don't think a manager of his quality loses all his credentials and his experience just like that after a few, you know, a few turbulent months. So I think he's still, you know, a manager that West Brom wants to seriously consider. He is arguably one of the best that, you know, is currently available. So it just depends what sort of direction West Brom want to head in because they've kind of tried a little bit of everything recently. Obviously, Ismail up and coming. Last year, Bruce, the old experienced head. It just depends what sort of avenue they want to head down. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But for West Brom on, on Saturday, that win at Reading, obviously against the Reading side, have been very good at home as well. Let's not forget that element. They went to a place that, you know, has been really hard for anybody to go to so far this season. And West Brom, they, you know, they fully deserve the victory, but they've got to prove now, as is often the case with caretaker managers, that it's not just a flash in the pan. They've got to build on it. They've got to find a way to get things moving again. And when you consider, I know the Championship isn't played on paper, but when you consider their midweek fixture at home to Bristol City, who are obviously not having the best of times at the minute, obviously got a win in midweekends, Preston obviously followed it up with a defeat to Millwall at the weekend, which we'll come on to. They're leaking goals for fun, Bristol City, at the minute. So that seems like an ideal opportunity for West Brom to make it back-to-back -back wins ahead of, you know, 
two big games away at Millwall, which is never easier than a home game against Sheffield United, which won't be straightforward. So for West Brom, I think the challenge is simple now. Obviously, get a new man in place, but until that happens, if you're continuing in the caretaker charge under Richard Beale, you've got to keep going. You've got to remain, you know, foot to the floor, keep building what they've got. And as I say, Bristol City at home in midweek, it feels like a really good opportunity to build on that Reading victory. Absolutely. Important they start to string some results together now after they have to. such a poor start to the season and hopefully get a new boss in soon. A couple more 2-0 victories to run through now. Preston North End nil, Stoke City 2. The return of Alex Neal to Deepdale. Got a decent reception before kickoff. Stoke have been so much better since they've switched to a back four. It was something I spoke about when they were losing and the balance not quite being right since they've done it. They've been miles better. A um, couple of players that have particularly benefited, Will Smallbone coming in in midfield, just a bit more licence to get forward in that three-man midfield. I think and the main one, Tyrese Campbell. When we think of Tyrese Campbell at his best and being one of the better players of the Championship, it's playing on that right-hand side, coming in on his left foot and scoring goals, being dangerous, setting up chances and pretty perfectly epitomised, I thought, by that second goal where it, it did genuinely look like Bambo Diaby was running in, in quicksand where he just burst past him, gets into the box and from that angle with two defenders just completely closing off that, that bottom corner to somehow thread it in, marvellous finish and Stoke City are just going to be a, a just naturally going to be a different attacking force if they can get him playing well, scoring goals. He's their, their supreme talent in attack. Nobody has the same quality he has. Maybe Liam Delap if he can develop obviously in his late years but right now at their current level Tyrese Campbell is the person that can change this attack Nick Powell when he's if he's ever fit as well getting the best out of him you've got to build the team around him and get the best out of him and playing 4-3-3 getting him on that right hand side that is where he's best superb second goal really good win for Stoke another clean sheet and starting to now grind out these sort of Alex Neal results which we've come to expect Definitely. And, you know, we raised significant alarm bells, didn't we, after that Watford game two weeks ago and they got absolutely thumped 4-0. Right, but what a transformation since then. Seven points in the last three, two have been away from home. And obviously the win was at home was against Sheffield United. So it's it just proves how quickly things can change in this league. And like you said, Alex Neil, he's, you know, he's tweaked a couple of things and we are starting to see, you know, proof of what a good manager he is at this level, which we all knew anyway, but... You know, when results don't quite go the way you want it, when you've left a club for another, people start to point the finger, they start to question you. But Alex Neil, you know, he's done a good job overall everywhere he's been. Let's be honest, and he has. He got Norwich up into the Premier League. He got Sunderland back into the Championship. Did a very, very good job, good I job thought, at Preston. Preston. Without, obviously, any promotion on the CV, but did a brilliant job with what he had to work with. I can't and, you know, see Preston as the Stoke. best of those three jobs, to be honest, despite not having a yeah, promotion. Yeah, possibly. Possibly, because, you know, obviously what Preston had and budget-wise, you know, he did a good job. And Alex Neal is a, is a very good manager. And, you know, Tyrese Campbell coming back into the team is only going to help him, you know, get the, get the points on the board. And I just look at Stoke and I think, like you said, they've got the quality there. It's just a case of finding the consistency and keeping the best players fit. That's been, and that's been a problem for Stoke for a couple of years now. Injuries have really hampered them to important players. And not least Nick Powell, obviously, he's had some rotten, rotten luck. But hopefully we'll see him back at some point and he can go, you know, go through the gears and do what he does best. But that win at the weekend, Preston, we've seen signs of improvement in them recently. So to go there and get a 2-0 win, a solid away win, 
is a really good result. And like I say, seven points from the last nine, having been to Burnley as well, played Sheffield United. That is a really good haul of points for Stoke. And now they've got to prove that they can maintain this consistency. And they'll be in this playoff mix because this is the thing. This this playoff mix, you could practically probably name, I don't know, 12 clubs in this. It's absolutely ridiculous how tight it is. definitely say we'll finish there and that's the current top three. Outside of that, I think I would guess so. Then, yeah, it could be anybody's. Guess. It could be anybody's, without a doubt. Stoke are 13th. They're only three points off six. Proves everything. There's a long way to go. But, you know, Stoke, they're ticking on nicely. And it's crazy when you think about Stoke again. We're saying, you know, how disappointing they've been recently. They've only won one game fewer than Burnley have. It's absolutely crazy. It really is. But, you know, good win at the weekend. They're coming on strong now. Just got to maintain them standards. Just a, a quick bit on Preston North End I wanted to talk about because obviously they've had a bizarre start to the season. The results started to now, you know, look a little bit more normal. But there's been a little bit of unrest about the results and where they are in the league. Currently 13th, which for me, I think is about right. I, th- I have to say I don't really get the criticism in terms of league position and results. I think 13th with this squad at this stage of the season is perfectly natural for the squad they've got. I don't think there's any world beaters in that team. The bigger issue, I think, for me anyway, and probably what a lot of fans might point to, is just the lack of goals and the style of football. Or maybe not the style, because I still think Ryan Lowe's quite an attacking manager. He's not someone I associate with stale, boring football, but something's not clicking in attack, whether it's individual quality, whether he needs to change the system, whatever it is. I think the bigger issue is the lack of goals, particularly at Deepdale. And fans being bored watching them. So even when they're losing, it's not entertaining. Whereas I don't think the results themselves or where they stand in the table is unreasonable for this squad they've got personally. No, definitely not. And I agree with that. But I I did tip Preston at the start of this season to get a little bit closer to the playoffs than they did last year. And I still think that's very much achievable. It's just, you know, they've had such a bizarre start to the season. And it has been bizarre. Obviously, what was it? Seven successive clean sheets to start with, but only scored two goals in that run. Then they, you know, go to go to Norwich and blow them away and win three two. Then all of a sudden, within three or four days, they're back down to earth by losing two one at Bristol City. So it's just they've been consistent, but at the wrong things. That's the best way to describe them. But obviously, same wrong things. Obviously, to bring you know seven clean sheets together to start the season, that was an amazing return. But when they'd only scored two goals in them seven games, you know. It doesn't look that great. So it's a shame because after that Norwich win, it really elevated them up the table. And all of a sudden, they were within touching distance of the top three or four. And then two two consecutive defeats, scoring just one goal, you know, has brought things back down to earth again. But it's this home form that's a worry for them. They've only won one at home so far this season. And that was against a poor West Brom side. So it's obvious where the issues lie. They've only scored two as well at home. So... It's obvious what the problem is. Ryan Lowe will know what the problem is. But like you said, they've not, you know, to be fair to them, they're not a team that you would expect to be knocking on the door of the top two. They've, like you said, they've not got the the best class, the top class of championship players. They've got players one goal scorer, team. haven't they, really? Yeah, Emil Reese. that's it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. They've got, they've, you know, they've got players in that squad have been good for them down the years. Daniel Johnson, I think, have won straight away. Alan Brown. But they are short on firepower. That is a problem for them. Obviously, Cameron Archer was so key in the second half of last season. And obviously, he, he um, went back to Villa and, and uh, 
a return on loan wasn't I made, possible. I did make the point in pre-season that not having Archer and the attention that was drawn yeah. to him naturally, I think that helped Emil Reese. I, I said that in pre-season and I think that's bared fruit in the opening weeks of the season too. Yeah, I would agree with that. They just they, they just haven't got enough up there, have they? That's the problem. They can't rest all their hopes on him doing the business, even though we know what you know what a good goal scorer he is. But he's only done but it for one season, though, equally. True, but you know he's, he's shown flashes of what he can do oh, in, yeah. in, in like seasons overall. Him when I say that. I'm more knocking the no, fact I know that what you mean. Preston didn't get another striker in for whatever reason. No, exactly. Parrot, but... and, they, and he's never really done anything in his career, to be he's fair. Now, now injured. And now injured till after the World Cup. So it's obvious whether the issue is live for Preston. And unfortunately, until January, they're not going to be able to change that. So they've just got to try and do the best that they can. But, you know, we're talking about them here being critical of what they've got to do till January. They're not in the bottom three. They're not in any sort of danger like that. We've got to remember that. They're within, you know, one win of the playoffs, for goodness sake. They're not a million miles away. They just need to find a way to put the ball in the net. But as I say, Ryan Lowe will know about that. The fans know. The players will know. So aside from that, they're not doing a lot wrong because at the other end of the pitch, they've been, you know, pretty solid. So it's obvious what the issue is. They've just got to find a way. But overall, you know, they've had a solid start to the season. Just been very, very bizarre the way they've gone about it. Hull City nil, Birmingham City 2. Of course, this game was delayed. It was the Sunday kickoff. It was delayed by half an hour because for the second time in three weeks, the goals were too big. So there are pictures online, if you've not seen it, go and Google it, of people soaring the goalposts two inches smaller because one of the goals was two inches too big. Only in the championship could that happen. And not just happen, happen twice in three weeks, that'd be a problem. How? How, how does that happen? Is it because they're sinking into the turf? I, I, that's the only thing I can... Like, how is that? I don't understand how that can happen. I don't Very know. Very strange. On the pitch, that was probably as good as it got clue. for Hull City, the fact that the game was delayed by half an hour because their woeful form continued. One win in eight for them. Got to go and get a manager. I don't really know what the what they're messing about at, to be honest. It's looked like they were going to get uh, the Benfica, former Benfica boss in. That didn't happen. And I don't know who the current favourite is, but it's certainly not someone we're aware of or have heard of. So it's going to be another gamble. And with every result, they're slipping closer and closer towards the bottom three and not playing like a team that doesn't deserve to be down there either. Birmingham, on the other hand, excellent. Again, as they have been in recent weeks. One defeat in seven now. John Eustace deserves a hell of a lot of credit for turning this squad around, not just in terms of togetherness and results, but equally that they're playing more attractive football. I do think you have to give a bit of credit to Craig Gardner, who's the director of football or sporting director, whatever title it is, the person who's, who leads recruitment. Getting in Christian Bielik, getting in Hannibal, getting in Tahiti Chong on, on the final day or final weeks of the transfer window has just transformed this squad. It's just given them extra quality they didn't have. And players like Austin Trusty, Scott Hogan playing really well week in, week out. Troy Deeney getting a goal in this one and missing a penalty, so it could have been even more. Square pegs in round holes for Birmingham for the first time in a lot of years. I feel like they've had players just playing out of position because they've not recruited well enough where... They had a spell last season where they didn't have a left-back available, so they had to play a back five and things like that. Good, Another clean sheet as well. Birmingham really trending in the right direction and Hull trending in the exact opposite. Yeah, it's contrasting tales, isn't it, with those two? It really is, but let's start on the positive front with Birmingham. I think you've summed it up great. John Eustace, what a job he's doing. He's doing an absolutely fantastic job. He's, you know, I said last week, and I've said it many times on this podcast, 
the Birmingham fans deserve something to be able to celebrate and be able to smile about. They've had to put up with a lot of rubbish in the last few years. And it now seems like the good times could be returning to St Andrews. They, you know, they've really gone about things in a really good way in the last few weeks. And to have recorded back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets, five goals scored. You know, that's something that we've not associated with Birmingham for a long, long time. They've always been a team that, you know, has struggled consistently. They've leaked goals. But it seems like things are changing. And it's worth mentioning, actually, these back-to-back clean sheets have coincided with Harley Dean coming back into the team. Two appearances, two clean sheets. Birmingham fans have said that he's really made a difference to that back line. So he's obviously had a clear impact in, in John Eustace's thinking and trying to resurrect his Birmingham career, obviously, after things went wrong with Lee Bowyer. But overall, things looking really, really good. And like I've said there, you know, five goals in two games, it's not something we've associated with Birmingham for a while. They've not scored goals consistently. So for them, it looks like things are, you know, really, really improving. And dare you consider them as one amongst this many teams that could get into the playoff? They're probably outsiders in that retrospect, but... With the way they're playing at the minute, they've got to feel like they've got the chat and they've got a good chance. So I think John Eustace, for me, I think in the overall circumstances, I think he could be considered, you know, if you were voting tomorrow for, you know, manager of the season. I think he's done in there, proved a lot of people wrong. I I was quite, you know, kind of sceptical of that decision, thinking, is this one a wise move? But so far, clearly, because the players are clearly warming to him, the fans are warming to him. And, you know, with obviously still uncertainty lingering in the background, he's doing a really, really good job. And lastly on Birmingham, what a goal from Bakuna as well. A thunderous strike, absolute beauty. And Troy Deeney, he knows how to take a penalty, let's say that as well. So, you know, for Birmingham, what an away day. Everything that could have gone right did go right. But for Hull, they need a manager. What a mess they're in. And they can't score. I think they've scored one goal now in seven games or something like that. Two, no, I think they scored in one game out of the last seven when they got two against Wigan. So they're in a real mess. But for Birmingham, onwards and upwards, looking good. Yeah, even more impressive when you consider that Birmingham had lost their last seven visits to Hull City, conceding 22 goals and only scoring four times. So you you to... were quite proud of that stat, weren't you? It was a good start and it was even better when Birmingham obviously defied it. Hat-trick of 2-1 wins now, George. Uh, two for the home team, one for the visitors. We'll start with the game's other early kickoff on Saturday. That was Rotherham United 2, Huddersfield Town 1 in an all-Yorkshire affair. First win under Matt Taylor for Rotherham United. I watched quite a bit of this because it was on in the press room at Middlesbrough. Uh, Played very well in the first half at Ewood Park last week. Didn't get the rewards, but this time they got the job done. And without Chiozio Benny as well, which I think is, is quite significant. If you told me that Connor Washington and Tom Eves were going to be Rotherham United's starting to up front and they would be winning championship games at the start of the season, I would have been very, very surprised and maybe chucked in an expletive or two. But really, really good finish from Washington for the first. Sub-Georgie Kelly, who of course scored the, the infamous goal at Gillingham last season to secure promotion to league uh, from League One to the championship, came on to net the winner. Nice goal, in fairness, from Huddersfield from a, a good corner kick routine for Danny Ward to make it one all. Good win for Rotherham. Don't think they were at the best or probably didn't even play as well as they did at Ewood in that first half. But a good win. Probably a little bit mentally tougher than this Huddersfield town right now that are still trying to work things out. And good for Matt Taylor to get that first win and get off the mark. Yeah, he needed that. Matt Taylor, he really did. Obviously, he'd come in, 
obviously after such a, a long time of Rotherham operating under Paul Ward, it was always going to be difficult, you know, to get them ideas across and get people buying into what he wants. But he's taken four points from his first two home games. That's a solid return, getting a draw in Millwall in his first game in charge. So, you know, overall, he's had a, he's had a solid start to life in the job. But you felt that that was a, a big win for whoever was going to win that game on Saturday. It was, would have done wonders for either side. Because rather than they just, you know, even though they'd have only, I think it was three or four games without a win, they, they had fallen down the table quite quickly. So they desperately needed that win. But as Matt Taylor said in his post-match interview, that club this season is going to rely so, so heavily on its home form. And when you look at the home table at the minute in the Championship, only Reading have taken more points at home than Rotherham so far this season. So it proves how, you know, how important it's going to be for them and their chances to stay up. But I saw a lot of good things against Huddersfield. I thought they played quite well at times. I thought it was some nice passages of play. Connor Washington, I thought he took that goal so, so well. It was such really a sumptuous finish. finish. Excellent finish. And then for the second, you've got Mr. Reliable Richard Wood claiming the assist. If he's not scoring the goal, he's getting the assist. I mean, that guy. The collective the season age of that Rotherham United what a guy. three of Lee Peltier, Grant, Grant Hall and Richard Wood. <laughs> Ancient is the word. Absolutely ancient. But you can't go wrong with experience, shall we say. So, you know, Richard Wood, I mean, it's just remarkable, isn't it? More goals for a defender than any other defender in the English Football League this year. It's uh, this season, I should say. It's a remarkable effort from him. And if he's not scoring, he's getting the assist. So, Matt Taylor knows he's got somebody he can rely on at both ends of the pitch. For Huddersfield, though, you know, it felt from that whole City win last weekend, one step forward, two step back. But you've got to recognise the size of the job that's got to be done there. It's such a, you know, a mammoth task that's been taken on. They're not in a good place at the minute. I did see some good signs in the game. Aren't they? They are. We're seeing some encouraging signs offensively, but they do worry me. Yeah, defensively. Going forward, they certainly, you know, they look a little bit better than they did. They seem to be carrying a little bit more weight about them now, and it will come with time. It's a big job. And for me, they should have had a penalty. I really do think that oh, yeah, was a penalty that, in the second no, half, without a doubt. That was a definite penalty. So, you know, if that gets given, they could escape that game with a point. So, it, you know, it's 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 one of them where for Huddersfield, obviously, they've been such a high after beating Hull, getting that first win under the new manager, Mark Fotheringham. Then they've come back down to earth with the defeat of Rotherham. But then you look at their upcoming upcoming fixtures, and, you know, they've got Preston at home on Tuesday night. Then they've got Middlesbrough away next weekend. That Middlesbrough game is absolutely massive at the Riverside. Does this team have the mental strength to go to a place like Middlesbrough and win? I'm not convinced. Well, that's the question, isn't it? They obviously, obviously completely different scenario last season, but they went to Borough and won. But obviously two teams there obviously have changed very, very much since then. So we shall see. We'll see what happens in midweek first. Preston at home, that's one of those that could go either way. Well, let's not forget, Preston have already been there this season and won 4-1 in the Carabao Cup. So that might, you know, work to their advantage. But for Mark Fotheringham, he knows the size of the task that's got to be done. But he'll he'll be disappointed with the outcome of that one on Saturday for sure. But for Rotherham, big, big win. A couple of, just quickly, outstanding midfield performance for Etienne Kamara was very good again for Huddersfield in central midfield. And Dan Barlaze is definitely going to get picked off by one of the bigger championship clubs or, or, or certain, maybe even a team in League One that can pay him a lot more money because he's been fantastic. He's out of contract in the summer and he's got a passing range like no one else in that squad. Really, really impressive performance from him. 
Sunderland 2, Wigan Athletic 1. Good win for Sunderland, which has been much needed after a bit of a sticky spell without a senior striker. This time it was Elliot Embleton and Dennis Serkin with the goals in a comeback victory after Charlie Wycott, of course, got the the all-important opener against his former club. Two really nice, well-worked goals. Really, Serkin really chucked himself at, at the winner. Great, great passion, great heart, great desire to get on the end of that cross from the right-hand side. And a good win for Sunderland. Tony Mowbray needed it after some of the results recently. And the the, the struggle, understandable, and it's not criticism. They've had no strikers. It's very diff- difficult. Ellie, uh, Ellie Sims should be back soon. I think he was back in training at the back end of last week. Might be involved on Tuesday at Blackburn. If not, it'll be the following weekend where we might see him make his return. Can't imagine Ross Stewart is a million miles away either. I think it was six weeks was the initial prognosis. We've got to be three or four into that already. So if they can get those players back fit, I think we'll see them starting to move more um, succinctly in attack because Jack Clark's in very good form still. I think Pritchard has dipped a little bit, but I think Pritchard is at his best when he's got runners. He's got players he can play the ball to that are running beyond him and at the minute he doesn't really have that because he's got midfielders playing up front. So, good win for Sunderland. Yeah, Sunderland, you know, much, much better. And by all accounts, it was the half-time tweet that Tony Mowbray made that, that inspired that one. We're taking Lyndon Gooch off, brought a mad on who's on loan from Manchester United and a lot of Sunderland fans were saying that he's the best that they've seen from him so far. Didn't get a goal or an assist but certainly, you know, had an impact on the game and the way things went and for Sunderland, that is a really big win because obviously they've been a little bit inconsistent recently. Obviously got a great draw down at Watford, then lost to Swansea, had a nil-nil draw at Blackpool in the middle of that at home. So it was a game that they really needed to win. Obviously, Wigan have been very good away from home. Let's not forget that. They've got more points than anyone on the road so far. So that was never going to be an easy game for, for Tony Mowbray's team. But it was just one of them games where you felt, however it came, they had to win it just to ease a little bit of pressure that had come onto them in recent weeks, but you know, they've been they've been on a little bit of a downward spiral, but they're newly promoted to the to the league and they're ninth after fourteen games, only two points off the playoffs. So it's been a fantastic start, especially when you consider they've had to deal with the upheaval of changing manager. And as well, let's not forget, they're still without the two main men in Ellis Sims and Ross Stewart at the top end of the pitch. So once those two are back, you would imagine that Sunderland are only going to get better and stronger. So for me, Sunderland have massively exceeded expectations so far. I think they've had a really good start to the season. And like I say, this playoff race, who knows, could they, could they be in the midst of it? I think they've got a good chance. You know, if they get Stewart back, get Sims back, we know what Ross Stewart's capable of. He had a fine start to the season, as did Sims in fairness. So for Sunderland, you know, onwards and upwards for them, they're looking a good side. And if they can just find that consistency, that rhythm of belief again, I think they'll do well this year. And ninth after 14, newly promoted, as I say, you can't grumble with that. It's been a solid start, very respectable. Yeah, absolutely. Good start for Sunderland. Millwall got an away win. That's a shock. Yeah. Their first one since April. Uh, and the first of the season, obviously. And a first goal season for, for Tom Bradshaw as well. Let's be fair, it was an absolute howler from Max O'Leary. He had a very up and down afternoon, recently recalled into the starting eleven ahead of Daniel Bentley, who's obviously the captain there as well. He started the game in midweek, O'Leary, Nigel Pearson citing that he needed to mix things up a little bit after the recent run. O'Leary has been in the team ahead of Bentley before, so he's not particularly an inexperienced player. Um, and he pulled off some really good saves, 
but he just I don't know what he's thinking of coming for for the free kick. He's miles away from it. There's four Bristol City defenders pretty much lined up to head it away. And he gifts Zian Fleming an open net to turn in for what was his fifth goal in five games. He's really enjoying a purple patch after a an adaptation period coming into English football. But just yeah, this two in my opinion, and it's early days, two mid table teams, the game separated by a goalkeeping gaff, yeah, a howler, however you want to term it. And it's a bit of a shame for Oliver because he pulled off a really good save for the penalty late on. He pulled off some really good saves when the score was level and, and when Bristol City were um, behind. But Millwall, an away goal, an away win, which is really important for them, first since April, as I said earlier. Bradshaw on the mark um, from a, you know the second phase of a set piece. And then, obviously an opportunist goal for Fleming as well, separating this one. I haven't got a lot of cutting-edge analysis for this one other than two teams that are quite playing quite mid-table-ish at the minute, separated by a, a piece of individual errors, an individual error. Yeah, I think it's probably the best way to sum it up, isn't it? It's not going to be a game that you probably look back on, say, in April and think, oh, that's where such-and-such such got three valuable points not, in their quest for a top-six finish. I just, like you said, I can't see these two really achieving an awful lot this year, which, you know, for Bristol City is quite surprising because they had a, you know, they had a solid start of the season. The they came out of the traps right. quite well. I was well. Millwall in pre-season. You were, and I wasn't. Now you know, seven. the recruit recruitment was good for Millwall, but they're just a little bit up and down. Just you know what you... Like normal Millwall. I thought they would take that yeah. step, but they just haven't. You, you know what you're going to get from them at home. You know, nine times out of ten, they are probably going to win at home. Away from home, obviously, is the problem. But they've got the first win on the board, so you never know. It might be the catalyst for change in that particular particular thing. But for Bristol City, I know they beat Preston midweek, but they've they've only won one now. I think in seven games, it is a worry, and they they are. I think they've lost five in that run as well. So Nigel Pearson's not been able to hang out. Conceded as many goals as Bristol City since the start of last season because it can't be many that could be one for me to check out no doubt yes yeah it's Mr Stato over here your homework this week that's my homework is it keep an eye on the pod page if you want to find out if I remember that is but no Bristol City you know defensively they're just shocking that's the thing they concede two or three goals nearly every single game and that is the problem that they've got another thing which is you know concerned me a little bit and Tommy Conway's gone off the boiler a little bit. And you, you can't be too critical of the lad because he's still very, very raw. He had a flying start to the season that immediately exceeded pressure and expectations. But he's now gone five games without a goal involvement, six without a scoring. Violence. So, you know, little bit of little bit of a problem for him. And, you know, you look at it and you think if them players like Vimans, your Wells, your Conways aren't performing, who else is going to get the goals really in that Bristol City team? That that is the main issue for them, isn't it? And, you know, Bristol City are not a team blessed with attacking it with quality in terms of goals from anywhere else on the pitch, really. Even though Rob Atkinson, I think, got a couple against Preston in the week, didn't he? he did. Which was quite quite a tale. But, you know, they don't really get many from the midfield players. Sort of, your Alex Scott doesn't score many. You know, Williams doesn't tend to chip in. So, if, so if Conway and Vyman and Wells aren't chipping in with the goals... Where did the rest of the come from? There's obviously a very heavy over reliance on the forward players, which of course 
your strikers are there to score your goals, but every manager wants everybody to, to chip you in now and again. In every game to get a point, though, exactly, and that's the problem. no, not at all, and that has been the issue with Bristol City. How many times have we said they've got to score two or three just to get a point? Defensively, they are really, really poor, and this is I a don't problem that you know. Nigel Pearson teams. Being no, I don't. Bad. I was just it's about not, to say like that. It's not like a Nigel Pearson thing, like. Mark Warburton's team, very good offensively. I would mm. quite renown them as very leaky defensively, generally speaking. I wouldn't say that about Nigel Pearson's team previously, no. but this has been a problem since he came in. They've always been, been in the solid. Job for nearly two years. You've got to be honest, haven't you? Bristol City—they've just got to score two or three just to win the game, and you know it is a problem that's got to be ironed out. Because, like you said, Nigel Pearson his his past winning promotion teams of Leicester and Hull—they weren't teams that leaked goals. And that's the thing. Admittedly, he's not got the same quest at Bristol City in terms of pushing for the title and promotion, but you still expect the same standards in terms of your defensive collective quality. And Bristol City are just, they're leaking them left, right and centre. So a big problem that he's got to address, but with the way things have gone in recent months, years even now, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight to it anytime soon. Final game, Cardiff City nil, Coventry City 1. Good win for Coventry. Slightly fortunate, it has to be said, that Callum Robinson's late goal was ruled out for offside. I don't think it was. I think if you watch the highlight show, they break it down quite well where it sort of comes off McFadden's thigh. I'm not even convinced he was offside regardless of that touch, whether that then means it's a deliberate play of the ball as well comes into play. I think Cardiff can feel a little bit hard done on, on that. That said, Gyokar is the match winner again. After He missed a far easier chance just before that. I couldn't believe how high he put it over the bar, trying to smash it in with the goalkeeper taken out of the game. I think the big difference for Coventry, they started the season very porous, very poor. Simon Moore, a lot of errors. Obviously, they changed the goalkeeper uh, and brought Ben Wilson in quite a while ago. And now in the last five games, they've only conceded one, four clean sheets. And that's helped them, even if it's not clicked always in attack. Still haven't got Callum O'Hare on the pitch at all this season. So, you know, get him back, keep the defensive solidity. And I think we'll start to see some of these draws turn into wins. And that will only help them collect points and climb out of the relegation zone. Oh, definitely. You know, Coventry, like I said, they've obviously had that unique situation where they've barely played at home. They obviously have had far more away games than anyone else. And that's always going to take its toll and put extra demands on things. But, you know... It should iron itself out and even itself out come later on in the season when they make up that difference. The big thing for Coventry is that they know that they've got a reliable goal scorer. That's the thing that they can count on. And Jokerez, he's got four now. And in all of those games he's scored in Coventry, haven't lost this season. He's a brilliant player for me. The, the best I think he's one the of the best strikers in the championship. Big ambition, that. Big statement. But no, he's certainly up there with one of the best strikers. There's no doubt about that. And, you know... They've got Gustavo Hamer to come back from his ban. If he gets in. In midweek. If he gets in, of course. You know, there's competition for places there now, but it will only boost the squad as a collective to have him back. So for Coventry, you know, the outlook looks a lot more positive than it did a couple of weeks ago. So things have certainly improved. Obviously, they lost to Burnley last weekend, but with the way Burnley are going, you can't exactly be too critical of that. But for Coventry now, the challenge is a little bit of consistency. have got Sheffield United at home in midweek. That is a game that I personally think could go either way, with the Blades obviously stumbling a little bit at the minute. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I would have said that was a foregone conclusion. Then after that, they've got uh, Stoke away and then Rotherham at home. So for me, those two home games for Coventry, they are ones that they could easily get six points or if they're at their very best. Not easy, certainly the game against Sheffield United, but 
I'm seeing encouraging signs to suggest that they could, you know, be improving. And defensively, let's not forget, they've rapidly improved. It's four clean sheets now in five games. They've only conceded one goal in five. So, you know, if they just get it right at the other end of the pitch, get Jokeras into, you know, a good few more positions, I think they'll be fine. And as I said, after that, you know, that really torrid start to the season they had with cancellations, being cut adrift a little bit, I think they'll be absolutely fine. I know they're only four points adrift at the minute, but they've got three games in hand on most of them above them. So I'm not worried. Coventry will be fine. They will stay up. Absolutely no qualms about it whatsoever. We've spoken about 11 games, George, as we always do. We cut out the draws, but there was one draw in the Championship and it would be remiss remiss of us not to talk about it with a little bit of depth. Sheffield United 3, Blackpool 3. A game that had everything at Bramall Lane. Four red cards, two of them after the final whistle, a two-goal comeback, a missed penalty. A fight. A f- yeah, well, it was essentially the whole game was a fight, Everything. really. Everything. It was a phenomenal game of football. Jerry Yates was absolutely exceptional for the second week running. He took his two goals very well. Really good limbs in the Blackpool away end, I have to say. It looked very good. Lavery was a constant menace running down the, the right-hand side. And Blackpool, all of a sudden, after not looking like they could score a goal for the rest of the season. They've somehow got six in their last two games against Watford and Sheffield United. How did that happen? Um, Just a bonkers game, George. An absolutely bonkers game. I don't think any of the red cards were dubious. It's a very idiotic challenge from it. Just the two Blackpool red cards, the first two, bonkers. Like, Thompson, to do what he did on a yellow card. Like, are you just asking to be sent off? And then, equally, Ekpeteta. Why are you going to ground on a yellow card like that and just siving down? can't remember who it was running through, but it was a definite yellow card. It was like, it reminded me, it was like those memes where it's like, uh, babe, I'm at home, uh, home alone. Oh, sorry, I'm playing football for Blackpool against Sheffield United. My parents aren't home. Marvin Ekpateta, red card. Dominic Thompson, red card. Um, bonkers game of football. Bonkers, crazy, stupid. Never seen anything like it in my life. That was like the battle of the lane many, many years ago when West Brom rocked up when it was Neil Warnock versus Gary Mason in the dugout. That's going back some years now. It was, you know, quite an event if you were there to be, uh, be watching it, I would imagine. It was probably pretty mental, pretty surreal. But let's focus on the football initially. Blackpool, you know, seconds away from winning it and what a victory that would have been. I actually backed Blackpool to win that game actually on my weekend accumulator at 5-1. to one. I had a really good feeling that Blackpool were going to go there and get something. Uh, obviously won there last season with that beautiful Keshi Anderson goal and so nearly got it again with the two spectacular finishes from Jerry Yates who is looking really, really good at the minute. He's only really two good. goals away now from equaling his tally for the whole of last season already. He's obviously scored four well and two. It was. And let's not forget, his two goals last weekend were superb as well. So, you know, he's not just scoring, he's scoring some pretty spectacular goals. So, for Michael Appleton, obviously, two red cards didn't help the case, but they so, so nearly got the win before the third red card, obviously, after the game. But, you know, at the start of play, would he have taken a point? Absolutely. Would he have taken a point? I mean, 2-0 down so early on? Absolutely. So, they'll just be gutted that they didn't get all three in the end, but... What a bonkers advert for the championship. It was a game that featured absolutely everything. And I mean everything. Like you said, six goals, mini comebacks, missed penalty, four reds, 
a scrap, what more could you ask for? It's a standard afternoon in Sheffield, that. What more could you wish for, honest to God? one normal weekend of Championship football, that's all it I asked for. And it, con- and it concluded with two goalposts being sawed into bits. What a weekend. I can't wait to see what you're going to title this episode. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We'll round off this weekend's podcast now with our shocks and bankers. Of course, there is a full slate of midweek action in the Championship. But as ever on this podcast, we're going to look ahead to next weekend's fixtures. George, what have you got for me? Well, my banker, I'm going to go for Rotherham to win at home to Hull. You know, you you just can't write Rotherham off at home at the minute. They're looking really good. Hull, obviously, in absolute disarray at the minute. Could they have a new manager by the weekend? Possibly. Could there be a new, you know, a new man leading the charge? Possibly. We shall see. But at the current time of making these predictions, got to go for Rotherham as a banker. In terms of my shock for the weekend... Quite a difficult one, I think, this weekend, and you're not going to like me for it. But I'm going to go for Birmingham to win at Blackburn. I Just got a feeling with the way, with the way Birmingham, you know, they're I coming on strong at the you, minute. Though, that obviously Blackburn are going to lose in midweek to Sunderland, and therefore will be that's Birmingham. true. So that's that not going. True. That's just not going to happen by the laws of Blackburn well, Rovers. Well, let's hope the laws change, and I'm going to be brave. I'm going to go for Birmingham to win at Blackburn as my shock. Rotherham to beat Hull as the banker. So I'm going for a, a home and away win this weekend me too and I'm gonna mirror you with my banker I've also got Rotherham United to beat Hull second week in a row we've picked one of the two selections as the same given him we don't obviously tell each other what we've got before yeah. we record this section well, obviously you and you had Rotherham at the weekend didn't you so second week in a row you're going for the Millers uh, you yeah, had Rotherham to beat Huddersfield as your banker I think he's it got says, faith in Rotherham it, at home no I really don't I've more it was genuinely both of those picks have been more about who they're playing and the lack of faith I have in Huddersfield and Hull away from home um, and for my fair, shock fair I'm, I'm going for West Brom to win at Millwall I think we'll start to see them click up the gears obviously a lot might depend on how the game goes in midweek which it always does when we're doing these for the, the following weekend but I think I could see them getting a positive result and winning at Millwall so my banker is Rotherham against Hull for many of the reasons you've just outlined, mainly the ones about Hull City. And my shock is West Brom to win at Millwall. And that rounds off this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from to make sure you get the latest episode from us every single week. If you enjoy the pod, please share it, send it to a friend, send it to your dad, send it to your mum, whoever you think might enjoy the podcast, send it. And we're always grateful of new listeners every single time follow us on twitter and instagram at champchatpod24 george will be working out how many goals bristol city have conceded in the last 18 months and whether anyone can match that so keep an eye out for that that's his homework this week a huge thanks as always to our sponsors cards accepted for their support this season make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk thank you for listening have a great week and we'll catch you next time for another episode of the championship chat podcast This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.